You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Monica Novomisle, Chief People Officer at Kraft Heinz North America. Monica is known for building high-performing teams that deliver profitable business results. In her 20 plus years of experience in the people space, she worked with leadership teams at Kraft Heinz, Diageo, and Tory Burch to achieve total business and culture transformation, focusing on changes in performance culture, coaching culture, employee experience, and corporate integrity and compliance. She also has focused her career on evolving HR teams away from executional and administrative work into business partnering and people experience strategies. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Monica discuss some confusion happening between flexibility and autonomy, starting a meeting with what are you hoping for today to determine whether to be a coach, mentor, or sponsor for the team member. And we'll talk about what a sponsor means. Remote hybrid work, how Kraft Heinz shifted back to the office, and how they're planning to better serve Gen Z as the baby boomers retire. This episode was sponsored by Wilson HCG, a strategic global recruitment partner focused on bringing out the best in what your workplace culture has to offer. Now, on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today we have Monica Novomisli with us. Monica, how are you? Very good, thank you. Thank you for having me, Ron. And thank you for being here. And I was, I was just saying, you know, it's, I'm glad, I, I feel great being back. I was on paternity leave for uh, five months with little baby Margot Ireland, who just turned one. And uh, you're my third guest um, since I've been back. And so it's great. I'm just, I really missed this podcast and I'm, I'm really uh, thankful for it and, and happy to be back doing it. So welcome. And congratulations and welcome to your little one. Yeah, thank you. And so Monica, being Chief People Officer for North America at Kraft Heinz, that's a big job. I mean, I feel like that's that must come with a lot of weight in some cases. So before we get into that, just give, we, we did an introduction, but who's Monica? Can, show us your career slash success path and what got you to where you are today. Absolutely, Ron. So um, I'm actually a recovering lawyer. So I spent my first uh, decade in my career as a labor and employment lawyer. And I did a lot of strike negotiation for companies as well as thorny investigations that most companies Uh want counsel with. Great way to start my career in HR um, because it taught me business acumen. If you walk up to a company when the rat is blown up outside and you don't understand their P&L and their business, you are not gonna make it very long. Um, When I met my husband though, because that was a young woman's sport, I was on the plane a lot traveling to places where there are plants. Um, we decided that we would both go in-house and I went in-house for Diageo at the time. And the head of HR there came to me after a year and said, I love you as my lawyer, but I think you're a hidden HR gem and I want you to try HR. So and Monica, I, why did he yeah. think that? Why did he think that? Uh, she, uh, Ooh, sorry. She, no worries. Uh, she said to me that um, two of my biggest strengths, and it's true, were to uh, proactively solve problems and to care about people. And those were two of the bigger skills for HR. And she must have been right, Ron, because that's 10 roles ago. Um, I have mostly been the head of a market for HR in Canada, China, APAC, greater China, 
um, moved around quite a bit, and now I am the CPO for North America for Craft Time. Other than that, Ron, I have two kids, five and seven, both boys, high energy, and I would guess that I have one of the better games of tag of any of your guests. I can go almost one hour without stopping. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. No, that's... I'm throwing down. That's my hidden skill set. Well, look, I want to go back to this conversation. I'm curious. So your former boss, when she said, you know, I think you're in the wrong seat, you know, what, how did you feel? Were you like, you're wrong? Were you, did you feel defensive because you were in, you were playing a legal game? You know, how did you feel when, when she said that? I actually was excited. I was excited and nervous. Um, excited because when you are a labor and employment lawyer, you hang out with HR, right? So I, I saw a lot of what they did. And I was getting to a place where I really did want to be part of the proactive solutions rather than the reactive handling things on the back end, which the lawyer is usually Absolutely. doing. Um, so I was very excited about being uh, welcomed in before the problem started rather than afterward. Um, but And so it turned out to be an amazing, amazing decision. And I will always be thankful for her asking me. That's great. And and did you have to skill up? Were you like, oh, I have to go back to school? Like, was it just a transition, a natural transition for you? Uh, I think at the beginning, there were some skill sets that I had to learn, right? Um, I had looked at rewards very differently, or I had looked at employee relations very differently. And I definitely had to practice my strategic skills in a much different way. But I had the business acumen already. And I already understood the coaching of leaders. And so I think that helped me to mm. really lean into those strengths while I learned some different areas. Mm. I had a ball <laughs> in those it first It sounds few like years. you have. Yeah. Too much fun. Too much fun is not good. Too much. <laughs> Shame on you. Um, so let's go to Kraft Heinz. So, you know, I, I see this statement here, commitment to making life delicious for people, consumers, and communities. How, how do you... How do you build that through the company culture? That's a very broad statement. That sounds like a mission statement. Is that a, is that a mission? It is our mission statement to make people's lives delicious. Yes. How, how, how do, do you we do that? Yeah. Um, I think that you start with we have a very strong culture, and to to keep that very strong culture, it is essential to always be focused on two things. Um, one. I think that you have to be very clear on your pillars of your culture, good times and bad times, which is not always easy on the bad times. And also understand what part of your culture is real and what part is still aspirational and just keep working every decision through that lens. So if I give an example, yeah. um, I think right now, as we are, most of us, are believe in prepare are preparing for erratic economic times, likely a recession. I think a lot of companies will be put in the place of really thinking about their culture versus decisions, right? One of our values is we champion great people. And we've already made the decision the decision to proactively be moderate about our hiring and our future growth so that we can absolutely take care of the people who are with us now, assure that there are no benefits taken away, that we can avoid layoffs at all costs, 
So do you always look at the pillars of your cultures, even in really difficult times? The second one is we're a very large company. So uh, 33,000 employees in hundreds of companies globally um, with plants and sales offices everywhere. And so you I believe you really have to constantly hyper-focus on your leadership and their impact on that culture. Um, because when you are in Shanghai and away from the global headquarters in Amsterdam or Chicago, you have to know that those leaders believe in the culture and are role modeling it every day. And our CEO, Miguel Patricio, is a really good role model of this. Um, he's, he was sharing with me uh, last week that he's reading great people decisions. And he told me that his number one focus is to get better at interviewing leaders so that he can leave a legacy for our culture and our company. And I think that will assure that we do really, really focus on the culture. I love that. And I'm, when you were talking about, you know, looking at your culture and maybe maybe the process actually breaking down your core values and saying, which of the ones do we do very well and what do we aspire to be, correct? That's what you said. Yes. Is that new? Was that like, was that a uh, look in the mirror moment for, for Kraft Heinz during the pandemic? Or has that always been the, always been the process? I think that, I think that it, we, we aspire to have it always be part of the process. It is always the process. But I think the pandemic and the fact that we are going through a business transformation at Kraft Heinz at the same time allowed us to hyperbolically focus on what was aspirational or what we wanted to evolve. And so, oh, sorry, keep going, keep going. Uh, so let, let me give you an example or two about what I mean about being very reflective in this moment. Um, one of the things that we are very focused on is our ownership and our obsession with customers and making the customer's life delicious, right? But what we started to realize is in the new world, how do we use, how do we help our customers go to a place they've never been before to get a win-win? So we built a digital factory actually at Kraft Heinz where we have 20 to 30 pods agile pods that focus on solving some of the most critical problems for our customers and ourselves through technology, AI, automation, and innovation. And as an example, we have a product called Homebake. It's only right now in two states. We started it in only just a few, a dozen uh, customer bake? stores. Homebake. Okay. Um, it is a modular meal. So you can go in to the frozen section and purchase maybe mac and cheese, a different meat, a different side. You can choose modularly, but then it all goes in at the same time and bakes in 30 minutes. And we choose tried your own it. adventure. Kind it, of it, it's a little bit of choose your own meal. And we tried it in 12 stores at first with this customer and they got us great feedback from the consumer. And we tweaked and we tweaked and we tweaked. And now it is taking off. And that customer is putting it in two separate, um, two separate states. Mm. So um, we've, we're working to change how we saw customer obsession to really help all of us look into the future for our consumer and find a win-win. So, so in that case, and I, I want to go back to my original question, but in this case, are you solving the problem of choice by the country that just wants different things. And I just want, I don't want that and this, I want a mix. Is that what you were solving? 
So uh, I think one of the things that customers came out of the pandemic really wanting is sort of a, a feel good that mixes together, if you will. So what I mean by that is convenience, want to be at a table together, and they want quality. They don't want convenience that doesn't taste good or convenience that isn't going to nourish their family while they're sitting at the table. Um, so that is exactly what Homebake is trying to answer many of those, those challenges that our consumers looking for and making people's meals delicious. So I wrote down, um, back to your values when, when you, when you guys did kind of, you know, reflect and say, here's where we think we're strong and we want to double down and, and tighten the foundation. And there's where we want to be. But it sounds like you wanted to put a focus on the foundational values, not the aspirational ones today, correct? Uh, a little bit of both, yeah. Maybe right. evolve them to a few more aspirations. But how did you how did you fact check that? You know, because I, I know as an entrepreneur and as our team, a lot of times we get caught with being in the boardroom and talking about maybe, you know, certain things, whether it's our customers or whether it's, you know, it, more more internally where we'll say you know we think we feel you know and then we just stop saying well why don't we just go ask the question like how did you fact check to make sure that what you thought was what we and and, and then was there any misalignment was it like oh wow we found out something new yes to all of that in many places i think it's very iterative and for different values you find different um facts and numbers right so and I think that you have to keep iterating and you have to keep listening to all the different channels that are giving you information. I don't think it comes to your point. It never comes in a pretty bow, right? In a package, but just continually listening and working on it. I'll give you another example. One of the things Kraft Heinz has always been known for is ambition. So when people interview and join us, um, we tend to find very ambitious people. And they say to me, in my past uh, journey, people would not like my ambition, or they would find it very threatening, or they would tell me to tone it down. Whereas here, we very much appreciate people's ambitions, and we lean into it as much as we can. I think where we noticed over time, through the engagement survey, through a number of our employee-focused groups, through the way that the pandemic is requiring very different leadership in order to lead through, and not just the pandemic, right? We've had social unrest and wars and things we could never have imagined. We started to realize that the way in which we incentivized ambition and appreciated it had to evolve. In the past, you know, people wanted, and most companies wanted you to have linear career path. You grow upwards, you get promoted, you get the big, the big team. VP, executive VP, or you know, keep going. And now I think what we're finding is that both for the leaders of the future, plus what people want, they want a choose your own adventure, as you said before, or maybe a yes. career journey instead of that right. linear path. Mm -hmm. And so how do we go and reframe how we envision ambition? to growing maybe laterally or sideways or diagonally instead of just always linearly up? How do right. you embrace the expert, but at the same time allow non-traditional opportunities between R&D and supplier, M&A and HR? 
And so that's one way in which we listened, thought, and adapted to changing. That's excellent. And coaching is a big part of your business, correct? I mean, it sounds like coaching is is attached to growth and winning. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So um, one of our, actually one of the things that we say here all the time is that we grow our people to grow our business. And as part of that, you really are coaching people. So we have a huge program at Kraft Heinz North America called Manager as Coach, where we really at every level of manager and leadership talk about what it means to be a leader coach and how you help people to grow themselves, grow their careers. Because I think once they've experienced that, they'll be all in for growing the company. Um, And so just assuring that people understand that the employer-employee relationship at Kraft Heinz is that they can trust that we will coach them, give them feedback and help them grow their career the way they want to. And they can trust us to do that. And then we can, we know they'll grow the business back and be headed for ambitious things. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that one of the key components of a high performance culture is how you hire and retain talent. It can be a little daunting to try and figure out how to attract your next high performer, let alone someone who is also a perfect culture fit for your organization. That's why you need a talent partner that prioritizes culture throughout the entire hiring process. Wilson HCG is a strategic global recruitment partner focused on bringing out the best in what your workplace culture has to offer. From employment branding and recruitment marketing to interviewing and onboarding, Wilson HCG brings hands-on expertise to help help you grow a healthy talent pipeline while staying true to your company's mission. With a configurable process and a dedicated team, Wilson HCG will help you attract and retain the top talent you need to be successful. Better people, better business is more than Wilson HCG's motto. It's the company's philosophy, how it operates internally and what it strives to achieve for its clients. If you're interested in learning about what Wilson HCG can do for your talent function, visit Wilson HCG that's HCG as in humancapitalgroup.com today. And from, from your perspective, where does coaching go really well? And then when, when does it fall off? When does it fall short? Where, where, where is there a miss? I think part of the, the hardest part of learning about coaching is realizing that coaching is not mentorship. It's a very different thing. So coaching is about deep listening and hearing what the person wants, what support they want, what next opportunities they're interested in, and really listening and trying to answer what they're asking for and helping them work through problems themselves, asking right. lots of questions. Right. Whereas mentoring is sharing your own experiencing and doing more of the talking. Mm. And I think that's the difference of when you see it go well or not well is, is whether or not you're clear on what a coach does or if you're confused. Well, you know, it's funny, I, uh, and I, I wrote about this in my book, Scaling Culture, that I had thought I was a good coach. And then after reading uh, a book, The Master Coach, which I loved, I kind of thought, wow, I'm not a good coach. I, I'm more of a mentor, you know, and it really hit me um, that I probably lacked the patience of coaching. I can get into it, but I really need to like focus. And it's, 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 I just thought, geez, people are much better at this than me. Um, but I also find I find it confusing in some cases 
to know when to mentor and when to coach. And so I've, I've tried to instill a bit of a clearing round. Hey, Monica, before we get started here, what would be helpful? Like, should I, are you looking for a coach? Do you want me to just listen and shut my trap? Do you want me to give you my own experience? Do you find, do you find that confusing? And how do you, how do you navigate what someone's really looking for? Because sometimes it's annoying if they're looking for mentorship and we're coaching. I absolutely love what you're saying because I think, and, and in fact, uh, a mentor told me this and I tell the team this all the time. At the beginning of the top of the conversation, probably start with asking what the person wants. And if they don't know, laying out some options, right? Because to your point, people might just, right? They just may want to vent, in which case you're just listening and saying nothing. They may want coaching, which will involve heavy listening and questioning. They may want mentorship, the sharing of your own experience. They may want sponsorship, right? Your, your assistance to help them sponsor with an idea or a new role or a new opportunity. I love and, that. I haven't heard of that. Sorry, Monica. Sponsorship. Please. Yeah, that's just unpack that for a little bit. I've never heard of it. I, I, I hear it support, but I love uh, the word sponsorship as you used it. I think a lot of times now with so many companies, we, we definitely see this in, in consumer product goods, the, the market and our customers and consumers are constantly evolving. So change management is a huge thing. And so oftentimes I think people are coming to say, will you, will you join in on this? Will you be part of this? And will you help me influence and sponsor this idea or this opportunity? So I, I really do think it's a great tool for managers, leaders, HR professionals, whomever, to start at the top of a meeting and say, what are you hoping for today? And sometimes people don't know, but I think even that question helps them get clear on what they want. Well, you know, and, it's, and there's some of the simplicity things that I learned through reading that book. And one of the things that I also learned that I, I just... I probably took for granted as a leader or just it was a blind spot or just wasn't aware was the simplicity of before coaching or mentorship or whatever it's going to be feedback is to ask permission. You know, yeah. look, I, and, and really with that intent of look, Monica, I think I have something that'll be very helpful to you. Would you be open to me sharing? Right? Like I just didn't do that before. What are your thoughts? I love, I love that idea. And I love when people do it. I think, just that pause between two people to ask for the permission to share something really invests both people in the relationship and the discussion they're having. I think it pauses the person who is in the coaching seat to make sure that they are in fact doing what the person wants and is helping them rather than just offering what's what they like to talk about. Right. I right. think on the other side, it really helps the person being coached to do a awareness check about where they're at at receiving feedback and help on that problem. And so I think it's always a great check-in for both parties to have a meaningful conversation. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So let's go to, uh, we, we had some predetermined topics here. And one of the things that... Um, we said we would, would scratch on, and, and funny enough, I'm on a panel discussion tomorrow and I saw the topic of, of quiet quitting, right? Yeah. So I'm curious your thoughts on quiet quitting. You know, I, and look, I, I will open this by saying, I actually don't think it's from my perspective, and this is just my, 
my, my opinion. I don't think it's anything new. I just think it's a label for an old problem. I agree. I agree. I think that there's been a lot of labels, though, as people work through some confusion around the future of work. Um, I think, you know, there's been big movements in the history of work, industrial revolution or human rights in the 1970s and 1980s. And I think we're experiencing another one of those big moments in the future of work. And I think that there's a lot of confusion around flexibility, autonomy, and it's resulting in a lot of labels coming out. Um, so, so actually, let's, I want to, I, I, and I had that down too. Talk to me about that. What are you seeing in the confusion with autonomy and flexibility? I love this topic. Absolutely. I think that the pandemic helped both companies and employees reframe the way they think about certain things. So since you asked about flexibility and autonomy, let's start with the individual employee. I think in the past, we used the words flexibility and autonomy almost interchangeably. And I don't think that they are interchangeable at all. I think that flexibility is about each person being able to determine their own boundaries and what they are, you know, when they are with different parts or facets of their lives. So as an example at Craft Times, we will say all the time, flexibility is always assumed. You have a a kid's concert, you get to that. You have a doctor's appointment, get to that, right? And on the flip side, we will assume that you also have the responsibility and ownership to be here when there's a big board meeting or a big meeting that you're leading, right? The difference of owning your own autonomy for your job versus assuring that you have flexibility in all facets of your life. And I found that the confusion occurred, especially with hybrid proposals. So as an example, we're in three days and you can work from anywhere the other two days that that fits your lifestyle. I think the place that things got very confused is that people confused remote with autonomy or flexibility as well. Mm-hmm. But I, those are not the same things. Working from home is not the same concept of flexibility or giving you ownership over when you're in for your own job or when you are doing something for your family, right? And I think that I could talk for hours. I love this. Um, I think we especially got confused there. I think companies got a little confused about why they were interested in hybrid. So I think we can all agree that site management is dead, that Monday Monday through Friday, nine to five for most industries it's probably not the norm, but I don't think we really focused on, you know, there's neuroscience about why being together a certain amount of days is good. So as an example, when people meet virtually, they don't get the same dopamine hits as when they're in person. So if you have a company that is relying, as we are in, in consumer product goods on creativity, collaboration, development, those things have to be in person because they won't be as good. You, you're literally, your brain chemicals won't do that as well as if you're in person virtually. But it doesn't mean that you can't do emails at home. It doesn't mean that you can't do your strategic thinking, your quiet time thinking somewhere else. And I think we just got all swirled up on remote autonomy, flexibility. And as a result, the media was able to create a lot of great labels. Yeah, I look, I agree. But you know, it's funny. So 
I think that like anything, um, and I was talking with this at a conference in Toronto two weeks ago, where we talked about the go back, you know, the, the go back to work and my thoughts and go back to work. Um, and I think that we're back to change management. Yeah. Like we're back to change management because people have new habits now. Yeah. I have a habit. And now you, as my employer, have to convince me that there's a new, that I should change my habit because I'm very comfortable now. You're going to make me uncomfortable. I have a new level of comfort in some cases. And so I go back to, you know, because you hear a lot of like, yes, the collaboration is not the same. But I go back to the, the message that I think may be missing for some corporations that say, well, look, Monica, you know, especially for the younger generation, actually, the skill building of building your EQ will not, that, that may hinder your, your, your success path in the future. Because a coworker who's going to get that might, might be at the next job because that's an important skill, how to read energy. And, and it's going to be very difficult to build that from home. So is that important to you? And then someone says, oh, ah. I didn't know that that is important to me. I'm going to get to the office. You know, I just, I think we have to go back to change management and getting to people to buy into something new because we think as leaders just quickly, well, come on, it's back to, we were just here yesterday, three years ago, get your butts back to the office. You know, what are your thoughts? I, I couldn't agree more. I was just about to say, I think the confusion for the companies was they just said, get back. Many yeah. people were like, get, get your butts back in the seats. And I, to your point, it's the power of why. We just worked for two years remotely. Why, why would we, to your point, why would we change the comfort of all the habits we've built now? And um, we've really been working on actually, and we've been doing this the whole journey, but it's gotten more and more detailed, listing out the reasons why we come in together. What is important to us? And you heard me say it for us, the creativity of innovation, of our product, of making sure that we're hearing our consumers. That is done in a room, the energy you feed off of people, the brainstorming that can happen, the, the neurobiology of that is just proven that you feed off better in those situations in person. I and agree. So, the other side of that is burnout. You know, I think the younger generation doesn't understand that without those kicks of energy and dopamine, you're probably going to burn out faster when you're just at home in front of the screen all day. And then I'm going to bathe the kids as soon as this is done. Like without any human, human connectivity, the lack of that causes this burnout. It, it really does. I think well, also the schedule that remote work requires. So I read a terrible statistic the other day that people on average remote are working two to three hours more a day than we were in 2020 when we were in Monday through Friday. And I really think that's because, you know, everything is very, you need a 30 minute meeting for everything. Rather than being able to be next to someone, lean over and be like, hey, I got an idea. What do you think about it? So it takes 10 minutes and you're off rather than 30 minute meeting, 30 minute meeting, 30 minute meeting, 30 minute meeting. And so I, I think, but to your point, I think there are many companies and we've held the mirror up to ourselves many times here on this one that have not done a good job of explaining the why it's important for our culture and our business to be in and when it's not and allowing people that autonomy. And what's in it for you, right? Yeah. What is in it for you? And the because development pieces so much so. It's so funny, you know, because I just, 
as you were just talking about the, you know, the 30 minute meetings, you're so right. And in some cases, it's an hour, actually, right. like it's hour meeting after hour. I mean, people just take up an hour, take up an hour. But, um, you know, they used to train you because uh, I was in, you know, we, we'd bring coaches in and you used to try to stop the, the you got a second meetings, like just stop doing that. It's so disruptive. And now like, that's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> Comes full circle, doesn't it? it comes All the full time. circle. It's so funny. That was so <laughs> frowned upon. It was like, hey, hey, Monica, we just talked about this at the quarterly. No, got a minute. Book me for a meeting. <laughs> yeah, it, it has come full circle. And so what, what do you think when you, you know, you talked before about the future of leadership in, from your perspective, how are we successfully leading in the future? Or what does it look like from, from, from you know, Kraft Heinz standpoint? I think the leaders of the future will require having very different skills of the leaders in the past. Because I think our external environment has changed so much. Um, I mean, I remember only three years ago, but so long ago, when you would say, you know, anything that is upsetting or social or political is left at the door. And now after three years of wars and social unrest and very divisive um, political events occurring on top of a pandemic, I just don't think that, that that leadership works anymore. And as a result, I think that people, leaders' skills around, EQ, you said EQ, empathy, listening, caring, openness, and well-breath of experience um, is going to be much more necessary to lead in the future. Mm. Having a much flatter view and being much more open to different ways of getting to, to the same outcome. Um, I'll give you an example of something that happened to us this summer that I think gives a small window into why I think the, cha the change is happening so, so much in leadership right now. Um, you'll remember that the Dobbs opinion came out, the opinion in the United States that addressed abortion rights in, yeah. in the United States. And um, a lot of companies were making statements. Employees were very upset. Three years ago, that would have been an issue people didn't take on as a company, right? Point, you, wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't have made a statement. And here, we actually immediately met with our women's business resource group. And what fascinated me and made me very proud, actually, was that the BRG had already done a listening session with their, their members to hear all the different opinions and represent them. And then they also shared with the business how they would handle it as a company, what they thought about for the customers, for the consumer, and for their people. And, and they, they, they anchored it in our culture. What came out of that? What did it look like? Listen, what was fascinating is I think we made much better decisions for our people and as a business because of how open they were. Um, we also arranged to speak to all the rest of our business resource groups because, as you know, Dobbs uh, set off emotions for many underrepresented people. And I think we made a lot of different decisions. I'll, I'll give you two examples that met that fit our culture and what we believe in as a business that was different from other companies. We very much made the decision with the BRG that we would not make a public statement because this was about taking care of our own. 
And that's where we would focus. And we communicated to the whole company multiple times. And then we actually extended our benefits so that people could travel when they had life-threatening experiences that they could not find the medical treatment within their within their local uh, community. So we really, we turned it back to championing great people and we took care of our people and focused on our people. That's what's right for our culture. Right, Maybe right. not for others' companies, but that's what I mean. That's a very different leadership skill than we have ever asked from leaders in the past. And, and I think that will continue to evolve. I think you're right. I mean, leaders today seem to be under such a different microscope right? Like there's internal pressure, stakeholder pressure, external pressure. It's, it's interesting. You know, I, I often think when something happens, you know, should I comment? Should I not comment? And, and I, there was somebody, there was a podcast guest and they had said that corporately they decided because I think they had done, or maybe it was a consultant that had done a study on this, that that if a CEO or senior leader or corporation made a statement about something that happened and they didn't, and it was just a statement like, let's go to Black Lives Matter. And, and the CEO comes up and says, we condemn all that and, and, and you know, racism and blah, blah, blah. And they make a big statement. If they didn't do anything about it internally, they, it was, it, that's right. It was disastrous. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of think about that. And I think, okay, if I'm going to say something, do I have the resource? Is this important internally to the company? Are we going to do, am I going to do something about it? If not, maybe I should be careful here. You know, that's how I've been checking, balancing it. How do you guys view when you should or when you shouldn't? I, I think what you said is, is such an interesting framework to look at how leadership is changing. Because I think what you just said hits the nail on the head in the sense that the world changes much faster now. And so I think there is that pressure from all different areas on leaders to have extreme situational self-awareness and great change agility. Right. And as a result, if you don't have those two things, like if you take the example you just said, well, if you say something, if you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk, that's a grave loss of situational awareness. That's right. right? You're worse than when you, but the, you shouldn't have said anything, right? Right. You, you would have been better to stay quiet. Yeah. And I, yeah. I'm not sure in the past we leaned so far into growth mindsets and change agility. Grit is another way that people describe it, right? With the resilience and this awareness of your own impact in every situation. And I think it takes different experiences to develop those things than we may have focused on in the past. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Monica, what else? What else are you working on? What's some interesting things you've been thinking about as we wrap here? What's something we haven't talked about that you think would that, that's keeping you up at night? Good, bad, what do you got? Uh, I think um, since we've been talking about future of work, I've been doing uh, a lot of, I've been researching two things late at night. Um, one is around uh, Gen Z and Gen A and how they will change the future of work being digital natives. I mean, I told you I have a five and a seven-year-old. I also have an amazing game at Minecraft and Roblox. I know more about YouTube influencers than I ever thought I would. But, you know, my child is going to break my TV because he repeatedly tries to go up and swipe or push the, the, the screen, right? Right. And so I've been thinking a lot about how does that digital 
being a digital native, how will that shift the future of work and what we have to do? And I, I'm not sure we're ready for it. I, I, I'm not talking about Kraft Heinz. I mean, right. sort of many companies. Um, and so I've been doing a lot of research about asynchronistic work. And What's that? Just, Asynchron uh, asynchronistic work is the concept that you're not, a, a team can work even if they're not together in a meeting all the time. Right. So let me, and, and we're trying to make at Craft Times, we're trying to make small baby step habit changes to your point, making small habit changes to start to get to more asynchronistic work. So it'll be more digital. So mm -hmm. instead of having a meeting with no agenda, no notes, and nothing on a SharePoint or sent through email, do you start a meeting with the pre-read and an agenda with someone taking the follow-up notes and you post it on the team's share site so that everyone can see it, whether they were in that meeting or not? And then the meeting, the work can keep flowing and you can be different places on different digital capability. So I've been working a lot on that and I've been thinking a lot, Ron, about mental health. Mm. I think if you're going to make lemonade out of the lemon of the pandemic, I think it took a lot of the stigma out of mental health. And we are at a moment where there's a huge opportunity for our culture and our companies to really lean in here. And so I've been doing a lot of work with my team on how we talk more openly about mental health, about having different offerings for mental health um, and how we help people proactively work on behavior cognitive, like cognitive behavioral changes or therapy early on so that they don't hit mental crisis later. Because I read another statistic that it takes people nine years oftentimes to be diagnosed with a mental health related issue. Nine wow. years. That's too long. Mm -hmm. Way too long. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think I talk about this a lot. You know, the pandemic has really changed, um, I think, the the spirit of the work relationship with it was very transactional. Your problems leaving at the door. It's mm -hmm. now moved to we need to care about you as an individual. And how do we help you succeed as an individual outside of work, by the way? You know, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that those who aren't thinking about that are missing missing out huge. And, and that's where these things like the great resignation are coming from. And um, where people are just saying, wow, if you don't care about me as a human, I'm just going to go somewhere where they do, you know? I think that the employee and employer relationship and contractor agreement has changed a ton in the last three years. And I don't think it's going to stop changing for a bit because I think everybody's learning something. Um, I think on the employer side right now, look, we have a shift in the generations. Um, the baby boomers are going to retire and Gen Z is coming in. Baby boomers are the largest in the, in the generations and Gen Z is the second smallest. There's a math problem. There will right. be shortages. No matter what we do, there is a math problem. Right? Even without the pandemic, there would have been. That's right. And I mean, so it's just fast-tracked and so taking care of people is going to be an assumed because there will be competition. You know, a clear, just there will be competition, right? Yeah. For talent uh, for years to come. On the flip side, I think the great resignation helped employees also realize that the grass isn't always greener and that doing due diligence and really thinking about what you want for your career journey 
is important. Um, I think that there were so many offers of great roles with big right. money and remote. And then I think now it's up to a third of all people regret the decision to have moved and wish they could go back. Right. And so I think for the employee's commitment, it's really starting to be a much more thoughtful and comprehensive analysis of what the current employer is offering versus what's being offered to them and thinking very carefully about what they want. So we'll see. Well, Monica, I have to say you're a very deep thinker and you've, you have an incredible thank amount you. of experience. Yeah, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. And I hope to continue uh, getting to know you and, and continue with the relationship. We, I had so much fun, Ron. Thank you for having me on. For more information about Monica Noble-Muesley, please follow her on LinkedIn. To learn more about our books or Scaling Culture Masterclass, please go to scalingculture.org. And to learn more about a sponsor of this episode, Wilson HCG, please go to wilsonhcg.com. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment and share the podcast with one of your friends or colleagues. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.